historians will mark the end of one era and mark the beginning of another. T-E-T-Z. The end times continue. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the End Times Continue, recording on this, the 15th of January. Holy shit. I am Dino, <laughs> and you are... And I am Ace, and I have been uh, sleeted on all day. Uh, the weather has been shit. Yeah, man, you, you, you're saying you had some fucking shit weather. Yeah, I, I totally expected that the power was going to go out by now, um, and I hope it doesn't in the middle of this recording. But uh, yeah, weather has not been kind. Uh, it's been sleet, which in my opinion is the worst, like in between. Oh, like, yeah. I'd rather it be raining or snowing. Like, give me rain or snow. I don't want sleet. It is the worst possible thing. Sleet's a pain in the ass. It makes the roads dangerous. Yeah. It makes it makes yep. everything fucking uh, it, it just freezes. It doesn't do anything cool. Yeah, I don't find it aesthetically appealing. Like, I, I, I can enjoy a rain. I can yep. enjoy yep. snow. I do not enjoy sleet. It is awful. Same. It is it is an absolute fucking pain. And coming from West Texas too, we don't get snow. Like all that we would uh-huh. ever get is that freezing rain, that fucking that sleep. Right. That's all we would get. Yeah. Um there would snow maybe once a year. So it's oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was and people in West Texas don't know how to drive on fucking wet roads, let alone frozen ones. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've been down I, I was down south for a couple of years and I, I remember like uh, so I grew up in Illinois and like snowfall it was a very normal occurrence uh, fairly normal like yeah yeah, yeah. A year but down in the south seeing like just the most the smallest amount of snow or sleet and people just don't know what to do yeah it's really funny people <laughs> so in Houston are smart dangerous for them but it's but yeah it's <laughs> oh yeah people in Houston are smart <laughs> when just, the roads like ice over and get really shitty here they just shut the, they just shut the city down they're just like we're not even <laughs> fucking with it <laughs> schools canceled if you have to go to work go to work but outside that, they act like fun. some like alien life form and just like landed down exactly yeah. in the middle of town and they just like lock down immediately they don't know what to do <laughs> that's <laughs> exactly like, Let's right this doesn't exist and wait for it to go away and everything will be fine yes exactly um so uh actually but before we get into any of the particular things that we want to talk about i i sent you a i sent you a link to a an absolutely you know legally acquired copy of uh the ethics yeah. of ambiguity by someone before um yeah because you'd said you hadn't read it yet and um yeah and it was i i was the the reason i went and dug that up and i was this is what i was about to tell you before we started recording but i said i, I might as well say it on the show there was this long thread put up by this fucking third wave feminist, this relic, relic of a dying age, um, who or a dead age, who said that who was arguing that porn should be illegal. Oh God! For all the regular third reasons that third wave feminists hate sex and porn and everything involved in it. it um, yeah. it's really crazy. Sorry to interrupt. I just want to say it's really crazy how like some of these like third wave feminists are now like horseshoeing their way into like trad. Uh, yeah. you yeah, know it, what I mean? It's it, like the, it was a weird thing about the third again. wave is that they like in the late eighties really, really, really came into its own in the nineties. But this yeah. is where you get the claims about how like, um, all sex is rape, right? Yeah. Like that, that's the, that's kind of the movement that comes with that, com- that, that comes from. And right. I was I was getting so mad uh, looking through it, but actually, uh, Lo Ping, Ho 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 Ping, uh, or one of the one of the one of his two yeah. accounts. He has two active accounts now. He um he was on there and and he was 
really laying into one of the women in the comments because he was talking about like men in gay porn and stuff. He's gay. Mm-hmm. And he was talking yeah. about that and and she says uh she was arguing that you know the 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 female class is not, the 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 what the male class does to one another is not the the business of feminism and also this stuff and and Ping said uh you know he was really hitting her on that class word and just like why are you saying class right. like why is it mutable like that why is it and she right. says uh well gender is a social construct and he's like so is class <laughs> right right <laughs> <laughs> um but he was he was nailing her and so i told him i was like there's nothing more entertaining than watching a gay man absolutely body a third wave relic like this (laughs) and the woman commented on that and said i'm not a third waver i'm a rad i'm a normal rad film and she called me something disparaging i can't remember what it was and i said uh I said, no, you're not. You're representative of the sh- shambling corpse of a dying movement, giving way to putrefaction after having cleaned the bones of your philosophical betters, and, dis- and uh, I think I said, um, digesting nothing of what they were. Right. <laughs> and she, I mean, I, like, had nothing... <laughs> I was thinking about that. I was like, how do I, how do I really illustrate that this woman is a, is part of a zombie movement? I was like, Oh, I'll just describe a zombie. (laughs) (laughs) It's really, uh, yeah. And I don't speak on it too much because I'm obviously not like in that space, uh, really. Uh, but it is, it is uh, interesting to me that like when you look at like second wave to third wave, and this is, uh, I'm coming at this from a novice perspective. Uh, it does seem at, at least in appearances to me, that third wave is so much more focused on almost a victim mentality as opposed to second wave, which was much more emancipatory. In it its, was, uh, yes. Articulation in its uh, uh, rhetoric. That is absolutely correct. The, the third wave is where the persistence of victimhood really comes into feminist ideals. And, um, and, and, the, and not just, it, it seems to me, you know, this is correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I am more of a novice on this than uh, I think a lot of people, but, um, but it seems to me at least like it's not mere the third wave isn't merely just pointing out where they see oppression. They're saying it is a constant immutable uh, fact uh, yes. in a lot of areas. Yes. Um, that's yes. It's not just that it exists in some areas, which which you can readily admit. I mean, look, I, I've, uh, right. I know people who worked in in I, I know people who worked in the world of Mad Men. Right. And that shit was mm-hmm. real like that. There there yeah, are actual yeah. actual, you know situations in which you can have a patriarchal kind of oppression um oh yes it's not that doesn't exist at all but it's that the the persistent and uh constant nature of it is what they harp on and and they they harp on it from a lot of different angles but one the thing that bothers me the most about the third waivers and this is getting back to to de Beauvoir, the thing that bothers me so much about the third waivers is that they will constantly constantly talk about the second sex constantly they'll talk about the second sex and the second sex is a fine book um but it's a it's a book about womanhood and and female emancipation from the perspective of a woman right it's like a Mm -hmm. it's almost autobiographical in that way it's not a standalone without all that context it's not necessarily a standalone piece of philosophy where the third wave feminists, I guess, left the ethics of ambiguity off their reading lists 
or <laughs> or forgot about it or didn't understand it because in the ethics of ambiguity de Beauvoir sets up a deontological ethic that falls out of existentialism mm-hmm. and it's it's very much like a kantian kantian it's not it doesn't follow kant exactly they're not twins they're they're cousins i guess ethically but it's it's almost a kantian sort of deontological ethical system that falls out of the idea that um that it's just the kingdom of ends is all it is. Right. It's, it's respecting freedom. I have actually not read ethics of ambiguity. I've seen a few like pieces here and there of it, like on like, uh, so for people who don't know, Simone de Beauvoir, she was a French existentialist. She was like considered like kind of like one of the bigger French existentialists. She, uh, she was was, Sartre's uh, better half. Yeah. Yeah. uh, So anyone who knows of Sartre or um, like uh, Sartre, Camus, de Beauvoir, Yes. They were kind of like the big three in uh, French existentialism. And Sartre, there's a, there's a, my, <laughs> my girlfriend believes. I hate Sartre so much. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, my girlfriend <laughs> believes that all of Sartre's best ideas came from De Beauvoir. And I think that's. I think that's probably true. <laughs> yeah. That's possible. Absolutely yeah. possible. <laughs> I think she was smarter yeah. than him. No question. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate Camus. Sartre just bothers me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, Sartre, the, the, some of the few things I've read of Sartre, I haven't read a lot of Sartre, so, you know, I, I'm also speaking of this as a novice, but, it, like, the things I've read of Sartre just really kind of pissed me off. It's more <laughs> masturbatory than philosophy should be. Yeah. Like, I, I know philosophy is yeah. masturbatory anyway, but it's it's more masturbatory than than is necessary. It's just a lot of, ugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, there's something you were saying, because you were saying how, like, this kind of, because I haven't read it yet, but. Uh, you're saying how she kind of proposes an ethic that falls outside of existentialism, but I, I, I think. Uh, well, I mean, I, I mean, it falls it. out from it. Like it's a, like it's a logical conclusion oh, of existentialism. Oh, oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, I yeah. think it stood apart. Okay, no, I, no, I, no, I was confused. I'm sorry. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. No, no, that makes sense now. Okay, um, I was gonna say uh, it's interesting to me because I actually think, and again, this is just my novice, you know, know nothing perspective here. Um, it, it's actually interesting to me that I think you can almost classify the difference between second wave and third wave feminism by an adherence to existentialism versus a, an uh, elimination of it. Right. So, for well, example, yeah. um, the, in third wave, they these people are determinists. They are hard determinists. Um, oh, yeah. Essentialists, I should say. Right. Um, the idea that your essence, like you, you're very... Um, like who you are biologically will determine everything about you as a person. And that will even determine what type of class you fall into, whether you're an oppressor or the one who is oppressed, um, that, that sort of shit. Right. And right. When and you have no control over that, essentially about who you are as a person. Well, it's an interesting thing because they, you're right. The third wave is very deterministic and, and it's so strange to me that they constantly talk about the second sex and they do, they fucking love it. Um, <laughs> and they constantly talk about it, but it's so weird to me that, that they are so deterministic in that way because the second sex is not from a determinist philosopher. Like, like mm-hmm. the Beauvoir is not uh, a determinist. In fact, the, the second sex, um, the thing that they all quote, and I believe it's, it's, this is where the quote is from is that one is not born, but becomes a woman. And right. Right. And, and it's, it's this, the, there's a whole philosophy of how that occurs. That's in that text. And none of it has to do with, you're just born that way. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's it's really not. It's it's very much a social critique more than anything else. And they talk about that a lot. But it's again, it's like they left the ethics of ambiguity off their reading lists because mm-hmm. there's a there's a deontological ethic that that falls out of that that comes from um, everything that Debor that Debor ever wrote. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like a really interesting idea. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not wholly convinced of it as a true ethical mode any more than I am existentialism generally. Um, I like it. I'm, I'm not going to say I don't. I don't claim to be an existentialist. I really like the existentialists, though. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's so it's so strange. So I sent you that. Uh, I sent you that thing. I, I think you're really really gonna like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think so too. Like I, I've seen. Uh, I haven't. Um... I've read not much of De Beauvoir, but I, I do, I, I have wanted to for a while. I, you know, I've seen like little, um, little pieces here and there that she's wrote that I've actually enjoyed. So I, 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 I can't give a reason why I haven't read it in the past, but yeah, I, I think I'm going no, to no, read just, it over it, just haven't had the need to, uh, honestly, I, I listened to it over again over the course of two days. Like it, it's, it's oh, not yeah. long. Um, yeah. But it's it's I, I I really I think it's really necessary if you want to try and understand like there are people who were mad about <clears throat> I came across while I was doing a little bit of uh, of reading outside of it I came across a Reddit thread because of course um, <laughs> of course <laughs> where this dude was asking he was he was asking like is is Dibovar a deontologist because this sounds a lot like deontology and I'm sitting here going yes it's deontology. <laughs> <laughs> she just doesn't use the word duty ever but yeah it's deontology it's just deontology um i, I sorry i just wanted to say that that could be the opening to any horror film uh i one day i found a reddit thread and then that's oh, yeah <laughs> it's the fucking worst <laughs> but there was this guy who was really fucking pissed off about it like he was really mad about it and he was like why would how could you ever find a moral philosophy in existentialism there's no such thing existentialism doesn't prescribe a moral philosophy and also this stuff and it's like dude you're not talking about day before you're talking about your opinion of existentialism that's right. way off topic yeah. <laughs> existentialism, existentialism is a very broad general sphere it's not like like I feel like I think a lot of people do this in any type of philosophy, uh, philosophical school where they'll they'll pick out one or two or three people they really like out of it and say, well, these three people define the entire yeah. school for everyone else. Exactly. And it's like it's honestly, I think that's Sartre's fault because so everyone oh, looks, I, everyone I, I looks to Sartre for existentialism yeah. and it's like, it's fucking it's, stop it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't I, I really don't like him. Uh, but, but his girlfriend was cool as shit. Um, <laughs> fucking, I love the Beauvoir. She's, uh, she's the smartest one of that whole little crew that was rocking mm-hmm. around. Um, but it, I, I, uh, I recommend people read it just because, and again, I'm not, I'm not convinced of the ethics of ambiguity as like a, a moral system that I claim. I don't, mm-hmm. but I really, really like it. You know what I mean? And sure, yeah. And she does the kind of Nietzschean thing too. It's sort of interesting. She does the kind of Nietzschean thing of like personality classification, um, mm-hmm. where she sort of goes through and and like describes a different like different kinds of people, mm-hmm. and why they are unfree in an existentialist sense. Mm-hmm. And it's a fascinating thing. Like she describes the subman, 
she describes like she describes the subman, the child, the the adventurer, like all these different personality constructs that she kind of builds like to archetypes, kind of right, exactly, exactly personality archetypes that people will pass through, and like you know people will become different ones of those through their lifetime, but um, none of them are existentially free. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, so it's a very interesting, very interesting little thing. And she actually spends most of the book doing that. Like that's the biggest single chunk of the book. And then the actual ethics of it follow the actual ethical argument follows all. that. Um, but it's very, very good. I like it a lot. Um, and, and the, the third waivers ignore it. Like it doesn't exist. I think that's when, I think that's when feminism as a philosophy ate a bullet was when they dropped the uh deontological sort of ethical angle when they when they refuse to understand ambiguity um and what de Beauvoir meant by it because it's one of those things where uh, de Beauvoirian objectification is a is a particular kind of objectification that feminists picked up and ran with without understanding and and what objectification is in an explicit sense at least for de Beauvoir is the removal of the subjective from yes. the subject Right. right. Um, you, and that go, that's very much uh, ties into a Kantian thing, as you were saying, where that is similar to treating a person as a mere means, as opposed to exactly they have, they, have a, they have a subjective end in themselves. Exactly. Um, that is exactly right. And so objectification that, that, you know, the feminists love to say this word objectification, but but and, and they 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 say it as if as if they're speaking in, in the tradition of Simone de Beauvoir, but they're not. Um, because when people talk about how fucking terrible and objectifying the fucking Carl's Jr. ad with the fucking bikini chick and stuff, when they talk about how terrible all that is, uh, because it's objectifying, they're, they're ignoring the fact that that woman agreed to be in that commercial. She was paid for her time. Like she chose to be there. They're removing the subjectivity of that person and instead treating her as an object by saying that the, that this is objectifying. Right. Yeah, and it, I mean, it also, yeah, again, it goes like this object determinants type thing where it's like they're they're deterministic in the sense that your very biological makeup determines factors about your subject uh, to the point where uh, uh, they they compl- they think they can just completely ignore the subjective uh, experience and desires of the person themselves exactly and attribute like certain qualities to a person that they may not even possess. And just because they think that, well, you're this or this, therefore that you must be, you must have this type of personality. You must be uh, here in the social class hierarchy or some shit. Right. Uh, it's the, it's the same thing as a lot of the arguments about porn and prostitution and stuff where it's like, well, yeah. and none of them want to be there. And all of them, and it's like, you're, you're well, yeah, objectifying you know? these people. How do you know that? Yeah. yeah. You're stripping them. Like, like you might say, well, no one likes a vanilla ice cream. It's like, well, what? How do you know that? Like, obviously not. I'm, 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 I'll tell you what, man. Uh, that is, that is so <laughs> fucking true. I fucking love vanilla ice cream. And anyone I, who yeah, says no one loves love vanilla, ice, vanilla cream. ice cream. Oh, dude, vanilla bean. Vanilla bean is the fucking oh, yeah. shit, dude. Oh, man. Yeah. So good. You put it on a fucking peach cobbler. Oh. Oh, no, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a great book. And I wish the third wave feminists would read and understand it, but they refuse to. Um, because it's <laughs> not, I, I think because... A deontological ethic, regardless of where it might draw its lines and, 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 and how it might come to be, is an ethic that's going to force a level of responsibility on the actor. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a level that's going to force, or it's, a, it's an ethic that's going to force a level of responsibility on the agent that I think 
especially third wave feminists are allergic to. Um, yeah, it's there. They right. are the classic women uh, accountability, the women dodging accountability meme. Um, that's it's them. also like if you believe in like sexual or biological determinism to some extent, it really makes nothing your fault, right? Exactly. In that regard, like if, if you're if you're just uh, uh, you know an affect of you know um, uh, your biology or whatever, and there uh, you're always going to be an oppressed person because of your biology, then nothing is really your fault at that point. Exactly. Uh, to some extent, you can always just fall back on that. Because it's a, it's ultimately if your purpose is not to treat anyone else to a mean as a means to mm-hmm. your ends, um, that flies in the face of all all of what feminism has done since the right. late eighties. Is that the whole thing right. is built upon this idea of using other people, um, mm-hmm. and it's a it, and and so they can't they can't accept the ethics of ambiguity. They can't accept De Beauvoir for who she was. Because it it destroys their philosophy, and yet they'll still worship the second sex like it's the fucking Bible. <laughs> <laughs> it really, really bugs me, dude. It, it bugs me as a fan of De Beauvoir, like because 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 not even I don't I don't even consider I haven't read that much feminist philosophy. I've I've read just mm-hmm. enough to be a little dangerous with it. Um, but. It, it's I'm, I am a fan of De Beauvoir. I really like De Beauvoir, and and for them mm-hmm. to be like for for them to treat her that way just really bugs me. <laughs> oh yeah, she took so much abuse in her life, and you keep heaping it on. Um, right. And there was also I, I was talking to uh, Lady Jane about this, and I told her I said, you know, I don't think De Beauvoir would have been a commie if she were an American philosopher. Oh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think she's a commie only because she's French. And, like, that's what the French counterculture was at the time. Sure. Like, because... Her beca- connection to Sard and... Yeah. That. Yeah, well, all those people. I think existentialism generally is sort of driven... Sort of drives itself more in, like, a Spoonerite kind of direction. Like a an individualist anarchist direction. Yeah, yeah, to some extent. Certainly... Uh, I, I think, it, you know, it's interesting, although if she was American, I'm not sure she would have uh, written about existentialism. In the oh, way sure, she did, sure, sure. It's a, it's a massive, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a massive counterfactual that sort of breaks yeah. the timeline, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I really do think that if, if I really think she would have been more of like a, like a, like a Spoonerian individualist anarchist is really difficult. Mm-hmm. When she talks in Ethics of Ambiguity, when she talks about communism and, and, and socialist revolution and stuff like that, it's, it's, there's a very easy response to that, that that it seems like no one made at the time uh-huh. <laughs> that uses that ethic that she just laid out against that argument that she's making. Um, but in any case, I, I don't know. I, 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 think, I think it has more to do with counterculturalism than actual politics. Does that make sense? Yes, I agree. I, I think there's certain like um, rhetorical uh, hooks in communism and socialism, especially like their literature back then, that uh, specifically like could entice someone of that inclination, uh, like an existentialist inclination, to uh, to get on board with that. Right. Right. Um, so I, I think it, it. I don't think it's like illogical or it, well, it, it it makes sense to me why someone could like. Appe- like uh, adopt that uh, that terminology 
um, to describe themselves in that way if, they, if their main focus is on a specific aspect of communism. Exactly. You know, when you and I talk about communism, um, we, we can obviously, we're obviously talking about, uh, you know, uh, not, not necessarily like just one specific part of it, but we're talking about um, specific aspects of it that we find disqualifies it as a moral system. But yes. With, for someone else, when they talk about socialism or communism, and I per, this is anecdotal, but this is my personal experience, um, they, they will talk about it in a way that is almost existential, that is not necessarily even involved in like a, it has political ramifications that I would disagree with, but it, their main focus is on the rhetorical aspect of it. Right. So than the actual like political aspect. Of it. I, f- I, f- I think you're probably right about that, um, that, that they would describe it almost the way that, that that uh, you and we describe anarchism mm-hmm. as a moral system yes. with political implications. Um, it seems like they, they might actually do that, but it's one of those things that it what, what ultimately what, what, and, and not to get sort of derailed into this, but what I find it disqualifying, even given the ethics of ambiguity, like even given mm-hmm. the right. ethical system that's laid out in that book, what I find disqualifying about communism is the notion of communal ownership of the means of production as a as as at bottom the communal ownership of uh of labor the the labor of all owned by all to me is uh is um repugnant to the idea of the kingdom of ends right does that make sense and it, so it's one of those things oh, yeah. that, that to me i'm like i i, I it just doesn't work together mhm right but in any case yeah, it's a very good book. People should read it. Um, <laughs> um, God, what did you want to hit on first? Uh, oh, uh, I don't know. Actually, uh, take it wherever you, uh, take it wherever you want. Well, uh, I guess I can just go in order of the of the tabs I've got open. Um, okay. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> this is funny. The uh, the classified documents that Biden had. <laughs> <laughs> just in his house. I just remember, okay, like a month or two ago, maybe or something. I don't remember how long ago. Maybe a little more now. We were yeah. Specifically talking, yeah, maybe like four or five months ago. But we were talking about how um, Trump uh, had was his Mar-a-Lago was raped by the FBI because he had documents in his house. Yes. Um, and I remember we were all saying, "Yeah, this is a non-story. Like every president does this. Every like elected official." probably has done this at one yep. point or another had documents in place that was not officially sanctioned um and it's like yeah yeah so yeah this alone i don't think is a news story the news story is in the hypocrisy uh, yes here. exactly <laughs> that's where the news story is. um lady jane described mishandling classified documents as the tax evasion of politics right uh, <laughs> it's like that's it's how you can get anyone um in that realm uh, let's start with this actual with the actual story about this. Uh, President Biden is facing a Department of Justice investigation after his lawyers found classified documents as Delaware residents uh, in an office in Washington D.C. They were found in multiple instances. With a White House lawyer announcing on Saturday that five more pages have been found in Biden's home. On Thursday, Attorney General Merrick Garland appointed former Justice Department official Robert Hur. Uh, man, big massive missing out naming him Benjamin Ben Hur is it would be, <laughs> be idiots. Awesome, yeah. To lead the DOJ probe, quote, this appointment underscores the public, uh, underscores for the public the department's commitment to both independence and accountability in particularly sensitive matters and to making decisions indisputably guided only by the facts and the law, Garland said Thursday. 
The announcement came just a few days after news broke that uh, classified documents had been found at Biden's private office less than a week before the midterm elections in November, a discovery that led the DOJ to launch the initial inquiry. Um, on four occasions, classified documents are found in, Biden, in Biden's private residence in, and in a D.C. office he used before becoming president. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, if we if uh, if we recall, that was exactly why people were saying that Trump needed to be locked up because he had all this shit in Mar-a-Lago. Mm-hmm. And it's not just it, it wasn't just that this dude had like a box of documents in his garage. These were in multiple different places. Like it was all over the yeah. goddamn place. Did you see that video of him? Uh, he's like, I have that or whatever. He said what now? <laughs> uh, he he said uh, he had them next to his Corvette in his locked yeah, garage. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's just like <laughs> Jesus. So one of the uh, one of my favorite little corners of of the blue and on internet is a podcast <laughs> that I don't listen to, but a Twitter account that I do check up on periodically. Mueller, she wrote. Um. This podcast, I, I need to start listening to it because I, I know, like, in my soul, it's terrible. Did <laughs> <laughs> you start hate listening? Yes, exactly. Um, it is, uh, there, there are, you know, it's, it's a bunch of chicks. Um, or a chick, uh, Allison Gill. But the, uh, <laughs> Mueller, she wrote the podcast, and they tweeted a long ass cope thread about why this is not the same as Trump. And this was tweeted on the 11th, which is a couple of days before some new documents were found in a new place. (laughs) And this is what, uh, this is what she writes thread Biden V Trump. Biden was not subpoenaed by Trump's DOJ in 2019 to return classified documents. Biden did not ignore a subpoena to return the documents. Trump's DOJ did not obtain or execute a search warrant of Biden's home or offices pursuant to a defied subpoena. Biden's lawyers did not lie to NARA or the DOJ about having classified documents. Biden's lawyers did not draft a letter saying he had no classified documents. Biden did not ha- uh, then have his Diet Coke valet secured, s- secretly move classified documents to another location and lie about it. Biden did not. They were in multiple locations. Biden did not not judge uh, shop for an appointee to file suit for uh, did not judge shop for an appointee to file suit for a special master to delay the judge shop. I'm pretty sure that that was the proper jurisdiction anyway. Um, uh, to delay the return for the classified documents, Trump's DOJ did not have to, uh, a judge sign an order compelling additional searches by an independent third party. Biden did not then hire his buddies to do that independent search and then refused to give their names to a judge to hide the fact that he and his buddies do the search instead of an actual independent third party. Biden is not a target of an open criminal investigation. Irish Trump, is he? Uh, Biden is not ordered by a judge to reveal the names of his independent search guys so they can be questioned by a federal grant. That's just referring to the thing you said before, sweetheart. Biden does not tell the public he declassified... Biden did not tell the, uh, the public he declassified the documents while not making the claim to the court under penalty of perjury. Biden did not make uh, take classified documents with criminal intent, Trump did all those things. End. How do you know that? So, yeah, how do you know he had criminal intent? Had, that seems pretty big. Assertion how do you know Trump right had it? And how do you know Biden didn't? Right. How, how she, can well, she's just a mind reader, uh, Dean. You have to respect her position as the authoritative mind reader of the human race. Yeah. God, this uh, this is Blue Anon is the funniest corner of the internet to me. Yeah, and yeah. it's because these people will shit all over conspiracy theorists 
They will shit all over uh, the the not just Alex Jones, but even people who are like not nowhere near as hardcore as Alex Jones. People like Rand Paul Mm -hmm. talking about uh, how they were doing the um, how they were doing the gain of function research at the lab in Wuhan. Um, They'll Mm -hmm. shit all over them, acting like they're crazy conspiracy theorists. And then like Russia's pulling all the strings and and Biden had the classified documents differently than Trump did. And all. Yeah, yeah. It's like you know, you know the play, you know the meme where it's like uh, the uh, you have uh, on one side you have like uh, Republicans who are like, uh, and it's a picture of like a predator drone droning some uh, population, and then the next slide is uh, and it's, it'll it'll be captioned liberals, and then it's a predator drone, but it has a bunch of like nice like coexist yeah, flags exactly. on it or whatever. It's got a coexist bumper like, sticker spot. See, on it's it. different. It's yeah. different because like they they're the nice guys, and therefore when they do something bad it's not really bad because they're the nice guys when they do it exactly um god these people are so fucking funny to me like it's it's a one of the funnier things about this is that it's just so much reaching and also this is the thing too the subpoena that came the 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 when the search warrant came down that came down as a result of the DOJ as run by Biden. Mm-hmm. Like that was pretty clearly a like like a a political um retributive move against Trump. Right. And so it's it, all of the stuff that she's describing is just like, yeah, so you're saying that Biden's DOJ hasn't done all the retributive shit against Biden that they did against Trump. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, imagine my shock. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a it's it's all reaching. It's just reaching. Yeah. yeah. I don't uh, it's, honestly, at least Trump had them all in one place. <laughs> You know, it's funny too because, like, uh, as you're talking about like the blue and on people, it's so funny and kind of sad to me, but also like morbidly hilarious when they will to see them contort themselves into like a pretzel trying to defend their guy. Oh, yeah. It's (laughs) like, it's it's really incredible mental gymnastics that you have to watch and see uh, on display. To um to really appreciate just how like mentally deranged some of these people are. <laughs> exactly. There was a, it's, uh, I, yeah. You know, I was talking to I, I was talking to uh, my parents about this, and and they were at, they were talking about kind of how are people responding to Joe Biden as a result of this kind of thing. One of the one of the things that my dad brought up was the idea that. The Democrats are, or the Democratic establishment, not the Democrats in whole, but like the establishment, the the media, the academia, all like you know the the fucking uh, I don't know. I, I guess I guess to be Yarvinian about it, the 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 cathedral is using this to make Biden unelectable. They 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 do not want him to fucking I was, run. I was kind of thinking about this too. Is this their is this like where they throw him to the fire? Essentially, is this yeah. their excuse to like throw him to the fire? Is this how they disqualify him from twenty twenty four? Right, and then they can come out and look like, look, we're fair. We did it. We did it to Trump, but we also did it to our guys. So they have this sort of like magnanimous um, uh, effect. Uh, they can a- appear fair. 
Yes, while while also not running for a second time someone who is clearly clearly mentally deficient. Right. And they all yeah, exactly, and they don't have to fall back on and admit that Biden is uh, mentally degrading in our before our eyes. They don't have to publicly say that. They right. Use some other excuse to get him out of there, maybe. Exactly. It, it, it's and I'm I'm thinking about that, and I'm like, yeah. I think the only way that would work though would be if you know Joe Scarborough, right? is on morning joe talking about oh this this you know this might make uh this might pose a problem for biden's reelection if they uh you know it this could be disqualifying you know we went after trump for this and and you know it would be it would be wrong to not hold biden to the same standard you know make it okay in the minds of the of the of the uh-huh. the, the morning joe watching public that they can reject right. joe biden for this right because I was talking to him too, and it's like I think I think that idea that we were talking about on a recent episode was it the last episode or the episode before? No, last episode was BR. I think it was the episode before. Um, this idea of parasocial sunk cost, and oh, yeah. and that you get so invested in somebody that you can't divest yourself of of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the way Democrats are with Biden right now. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, I yeah absolutely. I mean, I think that I think that's probably true of like anytime you have like uh, political fanatics where like they will double down on their candidate no matter what. Yeah. Um, Like the the people who vote red or blue, no matter what, Mm -hmm. no matter what. uh, I think those people are certainly like um, mentally chained to their candidate, Uh, especially when Joe Biden was was kind of uh, lionized to the point of being like a, a messianic figure. Um, in the face of of the antichrist Donald Trump, you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. right. From the left perspective, from the left perspective, uh, Biden was really treated like uh, like a messiah. And and I, I think anytime you you like politicians are religious figures now. I think that's pretty much done. That's that's. Oh, yeah. Like that's just the I way mean, that like, it is. Yeah, I, I mean the whole idea of like you know the whole like dog and pony show of politics is all about legitimization, right? Right. Like, legitimation. You have to, as long as if you can legitimize yourself as an actual authority in the realm of politics, you've won something at the very least. Yes. Um, you know, that's like the first step into actually getting elected is people have to see you as an authority that is worthy of whatever seat uh, you may or may not be elected for in the first place. So it, it very much is, there is this sort of like, and you know, talking about parasocial sunk cost, it very much is, and actually tying back into like existentialism to some sense, um, they're actually like for a lot of these people, they build their identity, their entire identity, and this is very sad to think about, but they build their entire identities around politics and political figures. Yeah. And it is like a huge part of their entire identity. So when you attack a political figure that this person is like really gung ho on, um, it they don't perceive it as oh I'm critiquing this other person they see it as no you're critiquing me you're critiquing my identity <clears throat> it's an attack on their religion to some extent and yes. and and we oh, yes. being anarchists we've noticed that with government generally a lot is, oh yeah is if that, you like if you yeah. went and, and t- like if you go and talk about anarchism uh and you talk if you call like if you go into like um, maybe this isn't as true now as you once was but if you go into like a Republican stronghold and say that George Bush is a mass murderer. Uh, um, it, it would be like walking into a church and saying, hail Satan. Uh, that right. would be the reaction for a lot of these people. 
Uh, it yes. would be very similar. Um, it is th- these people are absolutely um, wedded to their political uh, their political <laughs> heroes. And, yes, uh, it's uh, it's very dangerous, right? I mean, Larkin Rose, you know, uh, famously said the the most dangerous superstition is the the government. Always, it's like you know, uh, you it, it's not as much you know the, who are the Hitlers, Stalins, and the Maos without their millions of masses cheering them on. Exactly, like, like they're nothing. They're nothing. They're absolutely nothing. You know who I blame so, for this a little bit? <clears throat> it's a little bit, you know, it's it's kind of the iron law of oligarchy at work to some extent. Yeah. Um, but also I blame Dinesh D'Souza for some of this. Oh, you know, that is I mean, I think he goes back farther than him, of course, but I, I do think that's a he's a good modern figure to certainly blame. Um, yeah. I, I, I certainly agree with that. He, he made a lot, a lot of his documentaries certainly play into just what we're that George W. Bush was a murderer and an asshole was the general critique levied against him. The critique levied mm-hmm. against Obama was that he was the fucking antichrist. Right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes. And I, I lay that at the feet of guys like Dinesh D'Souza. Right, I, like that. That and to me is the him. whole brand of Republicans who are still more concerned that uh, Barack Obama may not have been born in the United States than they were that he blew up a wedding and yeah. that he blew up an American citizen. Uh, so you know, it, it really shows you just like how distracted people can get with just absolute bullshit that just does not matter. Yeah, uh, and it, it's kind of really disheartening there. But yeah, it, it's absolutely true that. Um, Dinesh D'Souza really did like further this and I, I mean you know it, it's more of a chicken or the egg question right because you know it's like he probably wouldn't we wouldn't even really know who Dinesh D'Souza is if the base around him was not already primed yes that yeah that's you know it's kind of yeah very much a chicken and the egg t- type situation with that yeah. I agree but it's a it's I, I that whole thing, I think that brought the sort of religious, th- and again, like you said, it, it goes, it does go back farther than that, but I think that brought the very sort of, a, a, the religious angle to politics that much further into the mainstream, where it like, sure. yeah. sort of became, just right. like this, where, where now people have a religious the- attachment. Right, where like um, it, it's not merely you know, and I to diminish it, but like it's not just the state is like commit is committing very wrong and evil actions. Uh, it's a holy war, uh, like that. That's how the like certain people on the right may view it. Like defeating the left yeah. is a holy war. I well, I think people on the left see it that way too. Uh, I mean, well, I, know, it, I, yeah, I, I was just using it as an example, but yes, I see sure. That. Sure. Well, the, the way left, they the way they talk about like down. January sixth, like an attack on their cathedrals, like it, it's yeah, it, yeah. it's, it's like insane. Destroyed a sacrament. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I find it to be, and it is all ooh. You say the word sacrament, and now I'm thinking like there's a lot of stuff that sort of lines up with that thinking. The idea, like the 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 idea of voting as the sa- as a sacrament. The idea of yeah. um. Like handling classified documents, right? Right. If you do it wrong, now you're in big fucking trouble unless you're on our team, of course. Yeah, it's a a ritualization, right? Like you you can do the same thing, but if you don't do the ritual in just the right order before the action, it's somehow wrong or incorrect. Right. Um, 
I, I mean, this is this was thing about like with Larkin Rose's book, the the most dangerous superstition, where he he like you know uh, he was really the one that kind of like uh, he's not the first one to do this, but he he really was the first like I, I think libertarian a lot of people think of when they think of like the connection between like government and like let's say religion or something like that how they have they have certain similarities that uh, should not be ignored right obviously like the whole uh, as you were saying the voting as a as a type of ritual it's a type of like um you know there's the whole concept of apotheosis which is like the the ascension towards divinity mm-hmm. right uh and you certainly see that in I, I forget where it is, but it's it's at the it might be the Capitol building where um, on the ceiling you have the literal apotheosis the, of George Washington is, is yes the, the, the literal apotheosis yes the yeah. literal apotheosis of George Washington and certainly you have this um, um, whole idea of like um, the, this is getting more into like philosophy of architecture and stuff like that but there's certainly um a, a sense in which you know you have all these grand statues in the capitol building and for most people this is just you know of course they do you know sure. of course they do but for a lot of people these statues are literally in some sense an, an apotheosis an attempt at apotheosis to to make these people living legends to make them more grand than reality itself yes um right and so like like you know the to, to attack like um if you attack like lincoln for example who was probably one of the most beloved presidents yeah. in american history um you will certainly see people respond as if they were like religious fanatics um it, it is very very apparent um so I, I, and again when i say religious fanatics i'm not saying that's unique to religion so i don't want to well, no, no, it's just, a, but it, but it illustrates, the re- like it illustrates fanaticism. The, yeah. Yeah. Fanaticism is a, is a part of religion and, but it's also a lot of other things. So it's not unique to religion itself. It's just like people can adopt certain beliefs where they can become fanatical about it. And it, they, uh, it becomes an entire part of their identity. So when someone critiques them, even if it's a good critique, they're going to act irrationally. Yes. Well, especially the 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 sort of religious comparison is apt not not because religion has this like you said unique to itself it doesn't but it's apt because it's a measure not of um it's it's entirely informed by faith like it's 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 entirely informed by an internal motivation to believe in a thing. There's nothing right. external about it outside of outside of you know the the, the possibility of its of its uh, correctness, right? There's nothing external to it. it. You're you're motivated internally to believe in in a god or 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 yes. in any religious uh, position, right? And and it's the yeah. same kind of thing here. These people aren't convinced that Biden is uh, going to be a good president because oh, these are his policy positions, and he's got the, all these ideas, right. and this is the no, no. It's an right. it's an internal motivation based on faith. Yeah, as opposed to like a critical sort of position. Right. And it's uh, and that's again, that's not to disparage faith, but you shouldn't have faith in your politicians. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like you know. I can understand having faith in some like uh like ephemeral ethereal uh thing or some type of existence out there. That makes more sense to me than uh having faith that a human being in a position of authority is going to treat you well. Exactly. <laughs> that is the height of insanity. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it it's just it's not it doesn't track. So 
Exactly. It's not that it's an attack on faith conceptually. It's an attack on yeah. having faith in, in a fucking politician. <laughs> why, why would you ever do that willingly? Um, yeah. But, but that's the way that people think about it now. That's where people are. Absolutely. It's, it's, and then they write long-ass threads I mean, also, about yeah. how this isn't the same. Right. I think it very much dovetails. And again, this is not unique to it, It's not, I don't want to make it seem like I'm saying that religion is the birth of all this. I think religion is just one no. of the uh, other aspects of this. But you certainly see this in the idea of like does needing a savior figure, for yes. example, uh, in, in politics, right? Every time there's an election coming up, it's like it's the most important election of our lifetime. It's a it's a holy war, right? Between, yes, uh, uh, two people. Um, so the rolling it, it, tide of fascism and or communism, whichever you prefer. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like it is a um, every time these uh, uh, an election happens, you have ardent acolyte supporters out there who will decry it as, as akin to a holy war. Yes, um, that you know the the spirit of our nation is at stake here. Um, democracy itself, Ace, is yeah. at stake. Yeah, d- democracy itself is could fail if democracy goes forward. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> democracy itself could we fail. Must if limit you do democracy, democracy wrong. To save democracy. Yeah. <laughs> <we> must... <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh anyway, yeah, that's the uh the 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 deep deep hypocritical nature of the left in dealing with this thing. But I think yeah. I do think um that they're going to use this to try and sort of disqualify him. I think they're going to use this I, to I to to make it to where he can't run in 2024. Yeah. Cuz like if you need an excuse, right? It's like that's the best excuse you could probably have that still makes you look good because now you're you're seen as fair and balanced uh, when you are going after Trump and yep. you can get rid of the, uh, you know, the crypt keeper um, outside <laughs> of your, uh, you know, out of your uh, electoral process. Exactly. So it, it really is a win for them. The, the millstone around the Democrats neck that is Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a it is a real he is not good for them at all. No, no. And they know it. But I thought that was an interesting idea that they might use. Him. I wonder what drugs they like uh, inject into him before they go, he goes out and speaks. You know, yeah, I wonder sometimes sometimes he can come across as articulate when when like he has to give some speech. But any other time, if he's just like out in public, he's like falling over on. Bicycles oh, yeah. And then, like, you know, <laughs> doesn't know what like, direction to walk. Right. Yeah. <laughs> They're, they are dumping buckets of Ritalin down his throat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's got to be what it is. <laughs> yeah, there's no way they do not have that dude on uppers anytime he has oh, to get yeah. a speech. Especially, oh, yeah. you can see how tired he gets as it goes on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely mixing, mixing uppers in with his heart pills. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, that, the, the hypocrisy of it, I think, is interesting. But I also will be interested to see how the blue and on side kind of moves as, as this, if, if, if this is correct, and they're using this as a method by which they can disqualify squeaky fucking Mike Arm, if they're using this as a method by which they can disqualify him, um, then it would be, inter- it'll be interesting to see how blue and on moves. It'll be interesting to see kind of what they do and say as a response to that, as the... Right sort of Overton window closes on this idea that you can mishandle classified documents in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're Joe Biden, 
it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm really looking for, I should start listening to that fucking podcast, man. I know it's going to suck, yeah. but I should start listening to it. Um, okay. So. The organization in this country, which is responsible for the most child deaths of perhaps any organization in modern history, as that's part of the federal government, um, at least American children, uh, the ATF. Uh, <laughs> that's a lot of qualifiers I had to do to actually get there. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, it's not, well, they're not responsible for the most deaths of kids. That would be the military generally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, the ATF released their stabilizing brace rule. Mm. Now this was known. It, it, we, we knew this was going to come out, uh, this month. Um, they were talking about their, how they were going to release it this month. And the rule has been submitted to the federal register in its final form. It exists. Effectively what they've done are you familiar with the stabilizing brace? I should say first, because I'm, 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 I shouldn't assume that everyone listening to this is familiar with the stabilizing brace. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, for those that aren't, the the stabilizing brace is a is not a stock, but it sits in the place of a stock on a short uh, rifle. What would be a short rifle had it a stock, or I suppose legally now is a short rifle, even if it has a brace. The Rifles length, like the length of a of a rifle, must be sixteen inches, a sixteen inch barrel, or twenty six inches overall. Okay. If the barrel of the old rules were, if the barrel of the of the firearm is less than sixteen inches, it is legally a pistol, and you are not allowed to have a stock on a pistol because a stock on a pistol turns a pistol into a rifle. It's so <laughs> I know. I know. I'm sorry. The, all of this is just so arbitrary. Like anytime I read an AFT like ATF like designation of when the pistol becomes the with the rifle, it's like all so many of these rules are just so entirely arbitrary. Oh yeah, well you throw a vertical foregrip on it and now it's suddenly any other weapon. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking wild. But um yeah, the uh the so you can't have a stock on a pistol, or it's legally a a rifle, but because it's short, it's what is legally a short-barreled rifle, an SBR. And these things mm-hmm. are, uh, you're not allowed to have one without a $200 tax stamp, and you're not allowed to transport it across state lines without filling out a particular form. It's a whole thing. Uh, these things are a... a, 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 a <laughs> A 15 and a half inch rifle with a stock on it is heavily regulated. <laughs> uh, because it's not a, because uh, it's a short barreled rifle. So, the, the, many years ago, the industry started, you know, we, they started making uh, especially short AR 15s, AR 15s with eight, 10 inch barrels, right? Yep. Um, and it's like, okay, well, this is not, you can't legally put a stock on this or it's an SBR. Um, some people would run it just with the buffer tube. Um, cause you can mm-hmm. kind of shoulder the buffer tube sort of, um, right. but the, 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 what was invented to solve this problem is called a stabilizing brace. And this, one of these was sent to the ATF with the ex- explanation that, you know, some people can't fire a pistol 
you know, if it's a short AR-15, like a 10-inch barrel AR-15, can't fire it one-handed. So this, because of some disability or whatever, this is an accessibility option. This is something we can do to uh, make it easier for disabled people to fire these weapons. Um, Because they can wrap the brace around their forearm, and then they can hold their arm out and fire it like it's a handgun, which you're still supposed to use two hands on anyway, but we don't talk about the reality. These are ATF rules. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, uh, the ATF said that's fine. And there's this stabilizing brace. It's it's a it's got a little. It's like a, it looks like a small stock. It looks like a very small stock with a with a piece of strap on it that you put your forearm on and you fire it. People uh, quickly found out that you can uh, you know shoulder these things a little bit like they were a stock. Uh, and the ATF has basically allowed that regime to last for many years until just the other day they released their rule and. Now, stabilizing braces will turn your pistol into a rifle just like a stock would. <laughs> we were uh, we were talking about this last episode with uh, with BR, but um, this just shows you how insane the position is. Uh, if you're like a conservative, right, and you pride yourself on being, I'm a law-abiding gun owner, right? I'm a law-abiding gun owner, and that's my identity, and that's who I am, right? Um, you could literally become um, a felon tomorrow. <laughs> like, tomorrow. You could just you Overnight. Could commit an illegal activity. Yeah, someone could change some ruling somewhere that has ripple effects. That means that you would go to prison for what you've been doing for years. Yes. That's what... Well, you've so never changed. When you... Yeah, when you decry yourself as a law-abiding citizen, a law-abiding gun owner, all that speak, all that's saying is that no matter what the people who make the laws do, I will follow them. Right? Yes. Uh, and I'm not saying you have to be outwardly in saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to go break laws, because I'm, I'm not recommending you say that. Or uh, yeah, that people people posting that kind of stuff in, re- in reply to the ATF, yeah. I, I, I don't know why you think you're doing that, uh, yeah. but it's not a smart but, idea. But yeah, exactly. But you can at least not say that at all. Just don't say you're yeah. a law. You, you don't have to say you're a law abiding gun owner. You don't have to say you're breaking laws either. You just don't have to say anything. Just the, stop, stop this whole, you know, I'm a law abiding gun owner. And that means, you know, I'm going to do what I'm told. Yes. That's ultimately what that is. And, and these people think that they're going to be fighting for freedom, but really they're going to be doing whatever the state tells them they can do. They will fight the state on the state's terms. Um, yes. And I'm not even advocating like open violence against the state or open, you know, uh, fighting against the state. But at least rhetorically, uh, you saying that means you're just you might as well just roll it out. Yeah, like you've roll, just you've up, just uh, you have just acknowledged their authority to tell you what to do, regardless. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just you, you already lost the battle at yeah. that point. Like exactly. Yeah. Well, there was a, there was something I've noticed with some of the fuds uh, on Twitter is that they've began, they have begun correcting each other such that they no longer say law-abiding, they now say peaceable. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I think that's at least better. Yeah, I think it's much better. I'm, you yeah. know, just like, I'm not, I'm not looking to actually hurt anyone. I would like to have a, I would like to have this brace on my gun, please. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, there is a 120-day moratorium on enforcement uh, from the day that it's accepted into the Federal Register, 120 days. Uh, where you can freely register any SBR you happen to have 
with a pistol brace on it. I don't think they're going to let you register your illegal SBR that has a stock on it. Um, I, 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 I do not think they'll let you do that. I'm not sure whether you can put a pistol brace on that SBR you have lying around that you've been keeping under your floorboards. Um, I'm not sure whether you can put a brace on that and then uh, register it and then put a stock on it. You probably can because uh, as far as I know, there would be no legal distinction between an SBR because it's got a stock and an SBR because it's got a brace. I, I can think of no reason why you wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, but that, that's not legal advice. <laughs> I haven't finished reading the whole rule yet. One thing I found interesting about this rule, though, is that um, they use language in this rule where they describe, uh, they say in the, in the rule, short-barreled rifles have been recognized by Congress and the courts as the type of uniquely dangerous weapons appropriately regulated under the NFA. Courts have recognized the dangerousness and uniqueness of NFA firearms and that the possession of unregistered NFA firearms poses a danger to the community. This is stupid to put in here. Yeah. And it's stupid because that language comes from DCV Heller. <laughs> that is the case. Uh, which established the standard for review of whether or not a, a particular firearm can be regulated or banned. It must be a, 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 an unusually dangerous or uniquely dangerous weapon. Not in common use. That's no longer the test because of Bruin. The Bruin decision came down and the Heller test doesn't really apply anymore. And in fact, it was under the auspices of the Bruin decision that the Fifth Circuit overturned, or uh, now there's a circuit split, but that the Fifth Circuit overturned the bump stock ban. So the ATF is still using incorrect legal reasoning and referring to the incorrect standard in their rule. And I don't know why. So they're just essentially using outdated rhetoric uh, that doesn't really have a legal standing anymore? Outdated buzzwords. Yeah. Mm. Outdated buzzwords that no longer have any meaning. Because the, the Heller, Heller set, this, set out this standard, this uh, unusually dangerous or uniquely dangerous, not in common use, right? That standard falls out of the Heller decision. But the, 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 that's not the standard anymore. Bruin is the standard. It's, it's, history and, it's a history and tradition test now. <laughs> is this kind of regulation part of the history and tradition of the United States such that it would have existed at the time of the, of the, of the founding? And, and the only reason I can see to refer to Heller instead of Bruin is that you've got no history or tradition to refer to. You can't fight Bruin, so you're going to fight it on Heller. What, when, why do you think they're doing that? What, like, do you think it was just like, uh, they just don't have a standing legally or do, like if you could get inside their heads, what do you think they're thinking? Do you think it, it was just an oversight on their part or if I could get inside their heads, I think it's probably got more to do with the fact that short rifled firearms were common at the time of the founding. 
um, mm-hmm. private ownership of these things were common at the time of the at the time of the founding. Um, you could you you could absolutely find. I mean, hell, some of the some of the things that were pistols, quote unquote, of the time are more similar to rifles than not. Um, when you when you go back to sort of colonial uh, firearms. And so I believe the only reason that they would be referring to Heller's standards like this is because they don't have any history or tradition to refer to to justify this. So they're referring to the old law, hoping they c- that that's enough justification, and hoping that, because Bruin is relatively new, very new, actually, uh, in legal terms, it's, it's just been born, um, hoping that somehow they can convince the circuits and the Supreme Court to return to Heller or, or integrate Heller in some way that justifies mm. this move. Okay. Because as it stands, Heller's gone and now we have Bruin. But the courts could very easily just say, well, you know, it's Bruin and Heller. It's history and tradition and uniquely dangerous and not in common use. Hmm. Which is a, a fucking mess, but I wouldn't put it past the Supreme Court. They, they love making a mess out of shit like that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that that's their attempt to get it to stand in the courts based on mm-hmm. Heller while not having to answer to Bruin. But the problem they're going to run into is that when the Firearms Policy Coalition or, or, or the Gunners of America or whoever, or whoever files to uh, enjoin this rule, um, whoever does that, is, their brief is going to be brewing. And if the, if the ATF is replying to a brief that's based on Bruin's standards with a brief based on Heller's standards, the ATF loses. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> So I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't know what they're hoping to accomplish here. But this yeah. is, I think this is almost certainly going to be enjoined. Like, I don't think this stands. <laughs> yeah, like, this, I, I didn't know about that, about, like, the technology that you just uh, were talking about. That, that's interesting. Because it seems, all, now it seems almost like a Hail Mary on their part. It does. Sort of thing. It does. It really feels like that, reading it. It feels like de- it feels it stinks of desperate. Sorry. Uh, it stinks of desperation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it just them quoting Heller's language in this. I'm just like, do you not know the law? I'm 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 there's no way the ATF <laughs> doesn't know Bruin. <laughs> they just lost a case on it at the Fifth Circuit. <laughs> <laughs> they, they have to know it. But I, I'm I'm not sure. I haven't finished reading the whole rule, but I came upon that upon that section, and I thought it was very, very, very interesting. Um, there's also another issue with this, and it means I need to start reading other case law. EPA v. West Virginia. Fuck! I should just pull this up. Um. Or West Virginia v. EPA, actually. Yeah, West Virginia v. EPA. Flip the parties there. Um, okay. The case centers on the Clean Power Plan proposed by the EPA in 2015 by the Obama administration. Among the provisions, the CPP had included regulation at existing power plants under Section 7411D 
Title 42 of the United States Code, to implement, quote, within the fence line emissions reduction technology and, quote, outside the fence line uh, generation shifting to alternative clean energy sources such as solar and wind power. The generation shifting aspects of the CPP were challenged by several states and coal industry companies. The CPP was stayed by the courts and never came into enforcement. The Trump administration's EPA put forth a less aggressive affordable clean power rule in 2019, which was similarly stayed by the courts. State was challenged in multiple states, yada, yada, yada. In a 6-3 ruling issued on June 30th, 2022, the court ruled that the regulation of existing power plants in Section 7411D fell under the Major Questions Doctrine, and within that, Congress did not grant the EPA authority to regulate emissions from existing plants based on generation-shifting mechanisms, which would have invalidated the clean power plan. The EPA may still continue to regulate emissions at existing plants through emissions reduction technologies. Okay, so they ruled that forcing these companies to adopt all this new technology is uh, is uh, a major question, which means it needs to be put into law by the Congress. Right. You, the the a, an executive there's a the, the rulemaking authority of executive bodies, right, of the executive branch and the various bureaus that exist within it. The rulemaking authority of those branches comes from. Congress having, well, I don't want to say delegated, Congress having allowed and and written into the particular laws that these bodies refer to, that these bodies are allowed to define certain things and regulate certain things to affect the purpose of the legislation, right? Mm -hmm. There's this thing in in constitutional law called the non-delegation doctrine, which is to say that uh, one branch of the government is not allowed to delegate its authority to another. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The problem that's arising now, especially after West Virginia v. EPA, is that it appears that this court, at least, is willing to overturn or, or is, is, is looking to um, limit the rulemaking authority of executive bodies in order to, you know, on, on the basis that um, the 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 legislature has abdicated too much, abdicated too much authority, has delegated too much to those rulemaking bodies in the executive branch. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I think that makes perfect sense. You have an executive branch organization in the ATF that's able to make somebody into a felon overnight. Right. That should take a law. Yeah. Yeah. That should be and an I mean, act of Congress. That, that doctrine that doctrine makes sense to me. Like even just assuming, like you know, the the normal civics uh, story we're all taught, which is that well, you know, uh, these branches of government get their authority from you know the uh, consent of the governed or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so really, it's not their authority to give uh, to someone else. Sure. Yeah. Right. So it's yeah that that would make sense to me. Um, on that basis. So yeah, I would like, even on that basis, I would say, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Well, to your point, to your point, it comes out of the idea that the constitution is a limiting document that the constitution describes the way the government's formed and it sets the limits of what these, of what these branches of government are allowed to do. Um, and, and that's why you can't delegate the sort of, you can't delegate authority from one branch to another because Right. It's not constitution. That's outside of the authority granted to them in the constitution. The constitution is where the authority comes from, not the other branches. So it's, it's very much, it's very much like you're describing. Um, and so the, the, but the, the, this West Virginia v. EPA case, people have supposed that 
as a result of this and, and some of the other stuff going on, that this court might want to sort of prune the rulemaking authority of executive, of executive bodies. This rule is a perfect, perfect reason to do that for the ATF. Mm-hmm. And some people were asking, like, are they going to attack the NFA as unconstitutional under Bruin? I think you could. Uh, but I, I don't think this court, uh, I, in fact, I think it was Steve who asked me specifically, does this, would this court have the balls to overturn the NFA? I think the answer is no. <laughs> I think that, I think the firearms act is here to stay, but it would be cool if they did be a lot cooler if you did. <laughs> be a lot cooler if you did. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, the cases that are going to fall out of this rule are going to be very, very interesting. Um, I'm looking for it to be enjoined within the next uh, month or so. <laughs> this thing's definitely going to catch an injunction, probably out of the Fifth Circuit, if I could guess. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that it's going to it's going to be interesting fallout from this, like legally. Oh yeah, oh yeah. They might have overstepped. This might be the thing that does it. This might be the thing that, that basically pulls a lot of authority away from the ATF. Which would be cool, but that also means now it goes to Congress, and uh, they're only a stalemate until the next election. Right, yeah. <laughs> and then things get dangerous. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> they could just pass a gun ban. Yeah. At a certain point. Like, at a certain point, mm-hmm. it comes that they could just pass a gun ban. And, and yeah. ultimately, ultimately, I mean, it would get, obviously, it would get enjoined. The Supreme Court probably wouldn't let it stand. But uh, it, 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 we're too far down the road such that every political solution, like whether, the, whether, the, whether SCOTUS stops a thing or, or uh, you know, some circuit court steps in and enjoins a, a new rule or whatever, is a stopgap. All of that feels like a stopgap to me. Because there's, we're too far down the road of this gun control thing. Yeah, it seems like, uh, you know, if people are determined enough, and by people I mean like the politicians, if they're determined enough to really pass a gun ban of some sorts, um, it seems like they're going to try to do it. They're going to keep trying. Because what do they have to lose, really? Yeah. Uh, you know. Well, all, they, all, they, all it does is make them look better when SCOTUS overturns it. All it does right. is strengthen support for expanding the courts and packing the courts. All it does is, exactly. is strengthen their base. Right. There's no downside. Yep. Politically, anyway. I mean, if there's a downside to literally everyone else, but... <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I just wanted to talk about that a little bit because it is a new rule. I wanted to make people aware of it uh, because... It is true that ignorance of the law is no is no excuse for breaking it, and I really, really would rather nobody listening to the show get raided. So you got 120 days to turn that SBR, either turn that SBR into a rifle or uh, get it registered. Or and get rid of it. Stop like showing off like illegal gun uh, illegal gun modification on Twitter. Uh, please don't do that. Yeah, don't post yeah, pictures under the ATF under the ATF's Twitter account. Yeah. Please don't do. That. Don't do that. Don't do that. Please stop. Yeah, don't don't do that. 
Please stop admitting to federal crimes on the internet. <laughs> I beg you. Please. <laughs> yes, that's a. It's not a good idea. I mean, I was talking. We we mentioned it on the episode with uh, with Br that there was one of the guys in the 3D printing gun community who got yeah. raided supposedly over an invader because he posted pictures of it on Twitter. Um, yeah. The invader PDW, which is now, by the way, an SBR. That that that. The brace on the Invader PDW is not going to, it doesn't, at this point it's an SBR, so quit posting pictures of your Invaders 3D printed gun bros, please, please quit. <laughs> I know you love it, I love the Invader too. it's a great design, stop posting it, <laughs> it's an SBR now. Um, okay, we, we saw on Twitter. Yes. You know, every now and then something happens. And I'm reminded that given everything that that we just talked about, we -hmm. still probably live in the best timeline. Oh, yeah. What is this? What is this that you sent me? This screenshot here. it, It appears to be messages from a man. Uh, by the name of Justin. Yeah, so, um, and Justin Roiland, um, if you don't know, he's the creator and uh, star of Rarity. Um, he has been arrested and charged with domestic abuse. Uh, what is, is it assault or battery? Was he charged uh, with? Um, I believe I, I saw, I just saw domestic abuse. It would depend on the statute. Okay, domestic um, abuse. Yeah, so th- he was charged with uh, some form of domestic abuse, and uh, uh, basically, there's a screenshot going around of um, essentially uh, him in a text exchange. I assume is it wife. I assume the first one. Um, I assume I'm. I'm pretty sure. I um, I don't know. Okay, maybe. Uh, that is my assumption because he texted a lot of people. <laughs> he did. Yeah. So I was, I was, I was more comfortable saying that this was his wife first. Uh, but now after the other screenshots, now I'm not as sure. <laughs> uh, Oh, I have the uh, charges here. Um, domestic battery, uh, with <laughs> domestic battery, battery with corporal injury and false imprisonment by menace, violence, fraud, and or deceit. So those false oh. imprisonment charges that come up in uh-huh. those in these kinds of cases, I don't know anything about the Justin Roiland case. I don't know any of the facts that are alleged. I don't know any of it. I I do know that a lot of times um, when you have these these kinds of cases, it's a, it's a DV with a false imprisonment on top of it. It's because mm-hmm. she tried to leave, or like she tried to go, or she tried to go call the cops, and right. Uh, that that was not going to be allowed to happen. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. That's what. Oh. That's. I don't know anything about Roiland's case, but I, I do know that that's usually how that occurs. <laughs> you get so, those two things. For this to make sense and and kind of have some humor, in it, um, people will probably have to be somewhat familiar, at least a little bit, or tangentially, with a uh, Rick the show Rick and Morty on yes. Adult Swim. Yeah. Um. If you uh, just Google, uh, you know, uh, a few clips of it, if you've never seen it, um, uh, they, there's a very specific way uh, that Rick and Morty, uh, who, uh, Royland um, voices, uh, speaks the way the way, yes. the way they talk, the way they speak. Yeah, um, the, the the patterns you know, that they have. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that Justin Roiland texts, text messages people in the exact same way he speaks on Rick and Morty. Uh, Dean, do you want to read the text message? I would be proud uh, to. Um, okay. Would, would you like to read the responses, the blue? Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, fuck me, dude. <laughs> uh, oh, shit. Yeah, I, I didn't... I'm really sorry. Fuck. Uh, that's not cool at all. Jesus. That's not me whatsoever. I, I literally didn't get consent. I mean, you said that you said after that you turned me on to be full. I don't think that was your exact word. Or, uh, I don't think that was your exact word into it. And I told you that I would have preferred it didn't happen. Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm really sorry. <laughs> no, no, I was like not consenting. I was like saying no and other things, but not very forcefully. I was not consenting. Can you imagine receiving that fucking text? <laughs> oh my god! And responding to it like fucking Morty. Oh Jesus Christ! The dude is the dude is clearly a fucking creep. I, I tweeted after this happened. I tweeted a couple of things. Ah, oh, jeez. Oh boy. I, I guess I should. I don't know. Made sure you actually wanted me to like do that stuff. You know. Uh, shit. I didn't even. Man, that's real fucked. You know. I didn't mean to like commit a you know like a sexual thing. Man, I just wow. <laughs> Oh boy, you're saying you didn't consent? Jeez, I was sure you were like down, man. I'm just kind of surprised, you know. <laughs> oh my! Oh my God! Do you want to read the next text exchange? Okay. I'll read the blue, and you read the. <laughs> this is one that I saw earlier today. The woman who posted these has sadly privated her account. There were way more messages um, that she had posted. Yes. Uh from October 2015, the uh this this woman is uh, messaging at Justin Royland. This is DMs that have been posted. Oh my god. Uh this 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 girl well <laughs> this girl was 16 at the time of these messages and yeah. uh Justin Royland was aware of that fact. <laughs> so, uh, let's let's uh Let's let's get into the content of these messages. Um, oh yeah, sorry. At the airport, it's insane in the membrane. Uh, what time is it there now? Eleven thirty-seven. Oh, that's so so rate, so rate, and me so Chinese. I have school tomorrow. Sad face. <laughs> oh, school God. tomorrow. Oh no. Fuck my life. You should just run away from home and get into sex slavery, you fucking stupid faggot bitch. <laughs> you wish, you stupid bitch. <laughs> wow. What the fuck? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love the way, the way that Twitter crops this thing. <laughs> Somebody zoomed in on that last on that last message and the way that Twitter crops it, it's just in real big letters the word faggot. It's hilarious. It's just it's really fucking This dude was texting that to a 16-year-old. Yeah. 
Um, he asks her also, uh, he says, would you do video game reviews and stuff like that? I I bet you do good. And she says, yeah, just playing games and shit. And he says, uh, then once you turn 18, you can just start cam whoring. God. He knows she's underage, dude. He would have been 40 years old at this time. No, uh, 2015, he would have been 36, right? 2015, 35 or 36. Um, He also asks her, why are you such jailbait? What's wrong with you in that regard? You should grow older, you dumb bitch. Wow. (laughs) Wow. That's exactly how he wrote it. You dumb bitch. Multiple eyes. (laughs) Is it cool being jailbait? He asks. Does the FBI follow you around arresting all the men you sleep with? What? What? (laughs) Holy fuck, dude. This one. Maybe I will. Uh, What are you in real life, jailbait? So, So I can't help. So I can help you not be a homo. I'm Atlanta drunk. (laughs) There were more on her original thread, but she privated her account. Oh my god. He's talking to a fucking 16-year-old. Yeah, dude. And and he's doing it in the fucking Morty voice. (laughs) Yeah, he, he texts like he writes Morty talking. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't understand. It why, is why it, the fact that it's so the fact that that show appears to have been very autobiographical for him, oh. <laughs> like in a weird way. Yeah, I don't. I'm 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 increasingly concerned about this. Yeah, but this dude, like this this dude, um, uh, he's a creep. Yeah, hundred percent. These messages and stuff. There was another woman who who had posted her DMs from him, uh, and I saw her in the thread that I now can't get to because the woman privated her account. Um, which I understand. I think people are coming after her kind of hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't understand the like. Well, just like that, the it, 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 he he slips into this weird shit. So that's so right, and I'm so Chinese. Why did you? Why was that? Like, that's yeah, not how humans like, I, I, don't, I know, it's like, I, I truly just like reading this, right? Even putting aside all the other horrible shit, just the way he types and the like his responses to things, it's like, it, it makes no sense. <laughs> it's, it's insane. It's like, it's, it's like unhinged. The way that the way that the woman described it was like, apparently what she was describing was that she felt um, almost bad for him. He seems like the kind of guy, and I don't know anything about this, uh, and anything about or anything about him personally. But it seems to me that means this is an opinion statement, and I can't be sued for it. It seems to me that he's kind of a manipulator in that he he gets these young women to feel bad for him because she mm-hmm. had said in in her thread she was talking about how he felt. Like, she felt bad for him because it was, like, so hard being famous and shit. (laughs) Yeah. But she... So it it seems to me that that he sort of does that. Like, he manipulates these chicks Mm -hmm. in that way. I wouldn't be surprised, yeah. 
how could you possibly manipulate somebody when you're texting like fucking Morty? Right. <laughs> how can anybody be manipulated by that? <laughs> like, how can you not read these messages and just have that voice in your head? Right. It's ridiculous. He, he's an absolute creep. <laughs> I think that might have been his wife in those first. I think I remember something about that. I, I'm pretty sure that was in the, in the first text. Wife or girlfriend or something? Yeah, yeah, something like that. You said after that you thought it turned me on to be forced. Oof. That's the kind of thing you talk about beforehand. Yeah. That's the kind of thing you have a conversation about. Right. Get on the same page for that one. Yeah, he's a he's an absolute creep um, who texts like a cartoon character. Uh, <laughs> like a cartoon character, he writes. And he writes, yeah, yeah. So do you think his whole life he's just been texting? I think his whole life he's probably been talking like that. And so when he's writing, he doesn't know how to write anything else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's not a creative yeah, guy. You're saying- I do what? No, it was just like you're saying it was like in a weird way autobiographical. Uh, Rick and Morty. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I, 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 think, I think he's always talked like that. Because, I mean, even in, even in that stupid video game he made, what's it called? High on Life? High on Life. Yeah. Um, it's, it's more, yeah, it's Morty. It, he's just, it's Morty. <laughs> it's just Morty. The gun is just Morty. Yeah. The writing, the writing is just Rick and Morty writing. Yeah. So I don't really, I don't really, and didn't, um, didn't Dan Harmon, um, the co-creator of Rick and Morty with, with Justin Rowan, didn't Dan Harmon get in trouble for something? Uh, he might have. Uh, was it, it was a sex thing too. Um, I think I remember something about this. Yes. If I recall correctly, I'm trying to find, let's see if, uh, controversy, sexual misconduct in January, on January 2nd, 2018, Harmon alluded to sexual misconduct from himself toward other people. Megan Gans, a writer who worked with him on community named herself as a victim of his misconduct. He responded by attempting to apologize. And though Gans said she appreciated his gesture, she refused to forgive him. After the exchange, he made a lengthy apology on his podcast, Harmontown, and went into detail about his wrongdoings, which included making advances on Gans and then mistreating her after she turned him down. Gans ultimately accepted his apology. She said that she felt vindicated by his admission, called it a masterclass on how to apologize, and urged Twitter followers to listen to it. In July 2018, uh, same year, Harmon received criticism when a comedy skit from 2009 resurfaced. The video titled Daryl was intended to be a parody of Dexter featured Harmon acting out raping a baby. <laughs> oh my god. Ah, Edgelord sketch humor, James Gunn got in trouble for the same thing, but like, yeah. come on, man. Come on. It's really, because people went digging, I guess. I guess after, I guess after the whole sexual misconduct thing didn't result in anything, people went digging. Hmm. Yeah. On an episode of Harmontown in February 2019, he revealed that he deleted his Twitter account prior to the backlash in response to Disney's firing of James Gunn for jokes that, that Gunn had made on Twitter between 2018 and 2012. 
He argued that this is what actually provoked 4chan users to target him, having assumed that he was trying to hide something from his past. Yep, they went digging. There you go. Yeah, the... So he didn't actually get in trouble for anything. He hit on a chick and then didn't get along with her when she turned him down. And that's... When you're a showrunner, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that. Mm-hmm. Just because... If you're gonna... If you can't treat your employee right after being turned down, you, you don't get to hit on them. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, exactly, yeah. But nothing actually happened to him. He wasn't actually put in cuffs or anything. Um, but fucking Justin Roiland is. <laughs> oh, boy. I wonder how he sounded getting arrested. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. No, no, come on, bro. Those those cuffs are really tight, man. You can, you can just not do that. Be careful. I'm going to hit my head on the, on the car. Jesus, Dean, your uh, your Morty voice is actually really good. Uh, <laughs> I hate and it, and you can take over the role for him after uh, <laughs> after. <laughs> Lady Jane was getting really mad at me because I wouldn't stop doing it the other day. Oh, no. <laughs> I wouldn't stop. <laughs> she was. I kept reading the messages. That's like a Seinfeld episode, dude. You, you, get, you just get into it and you can't stop. You're doing it all day. And just, everyone you talk to, you start uh, talking like Morty. <laughs> it's the Morty voice, Jerry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, Justin Rowland texts 16-year-olds. Like Morty. That is just... Yeah, and tells them to become cam girls when they're uh, 18 years old. Oh my god, yeah, can you fucking... Like, that was, like, it, 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 he would get, he was getting, like, unnecessarily sexual. Oh yeah. Like, that was clearly a case of grooming. Like, just looking oh, through yeah. those messages and stuff, it's like... 100%. That he is... Yeah, you advocating someone to become a cam girl when they're underage, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you, you are, you, first of all, he nicknamed her jailbait. She had said that in the thread. Yeah, yeah, that is fucked up. Yeah. And then, and then he's like encouraging her to, hey, why don't you just become a sex worker when you're 18 so I can feel good about fucking you? Right. Like, that's kind of what the message is there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. But yeah, he, uh. There's a, oh, there was a picture, (laughs) there was a picture of, I assume this is on a college campus, um, but this is a Rick and Morty themed bulletin board, which is, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you saw it? Yeah. (laughs) It is a sexual assault awareness bulletin board that's Rick and Morty themed, and it just says, what up my glip lops, let's talk about sexual assault awareness. Well, that didn't. That aged poorly. Uh. Very poorly. <laughs> oh. You know, I think to a certain extent, people get the audience they deserve. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And um, the fact that Justin Roiland got an audience that was a bunch of fucking assholes who 
assaulted minimum wage workers when they ran out of a particular dipping sauce. Yes. Yes. That, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. No, I mean, you just don't, we just don't have high enough IQs to understand. <laughs> Clearly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> obviously, obviously we just don't, have, we don't spend enough time on Reddit to, to yeah, get yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> There was a, uh, I think it was at Necro who had theorized about what if, in, in, as a result of Justin Roiland's cancellation, the right suddenly got really into Rick and Morty. Oh, yes. It's a <laughs> combat cancel culture. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I had some fun thinking of, of uh, I had some fun thinking of situations for that. <laughs> The uh, I think one of them was the uh, the uh, sunglasses bald head goatee uh, Twitter account saying uh-huh. I'm pick a MAGA related user pickle uh, pickle MAGA related username or whatever I fucking choked on my own fucking tongue on that one. But <laughs> Do you remember that video of those boomers? Um, like I think it was in 20, 2020 or twenty. I think it was twenty. Yeah, it was twenty twenty. Uh, when you had those boomers, like those MAGA boomers, dancing to Rage Against the Machine. Do you yes. remember that video? Yes. Oh my yes. god. Yes. Dude, <laughs> that's just what that reminded me of, like, right-wingers adopting things to be, like, hip and cool and combat the left, and it just comes across as so cringe. And yep, it's, it's the worst thing. It is, yeah. it is just bad. Yeah. Um... Anyways, boy, people are still freaking out about that uh, about the brace rule as they should be. Um, yeah, I just saw I just saw this because of the those messages. Um, I don't know why she went private. She's probably getting a lot of shit from a lot of people and stuff. Well, the comments look like it's just full of people. Um, at least the replies to the first text seem really supportive. It might have been like either quote tweets or like sometimes negative get um, deboosted to the bottom. Sometimes like people who are like being like uh, uh, like harassing someone. Sometimes those go towards the bottom. Yeah. I turned myself into a sex offender, Morty. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. I was trying to see if anyone else had screenshots, but nah, they, they were all in that private thread. Boy, that's that's sad. But whatever, it's her choice. She can do that if she wants. Um, I just don't know why. What I'm what I'm concerned about is if she got if somebody got a hold of her. You know what I mean? Mm, right. I'm concerned if maybe somebody got a hold of her for posting those, and and somebody right. threatened uh, maybe legal action or. <laughs> Publication of private facts is a tort. I mean, I, I, I don't know how it would apply in this case, but I'm, I'm just hoping that nothing happened that caused her to become afraid and private the whole account. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know. 100%. Anyway. Uh, that's all I had. How about you? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I had, too. All right. Uh, well, boy, howdy. That's... We... We actually talked about more than I expected us to, because yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't so. have very much prepared for this, but yeah, hey. that's usually how it is. Sometimes we'll only come prepared with a few things, and then we kind of like branch off into other things. So it, it works out. Yeah, it works out. Uh, 
let's uh let's do plugs okay uh you can find me at uh on substack at asubstack.com um i was finished i am finishing up the article uh <laughs> the ongoing article that keeps expanding um uh i'm i'm pulling a george R. R. martin right here it, it's coming uh eventually uh <laughs> but uh no it, um it is coming i'm just uh finishing up um a few more things i rewrote a couple passages um I did that and now I'm just like citing the sources pretty much and then it'll be ready to go. So um, I'm not going to give a date because uh, last couple times I've done that, it uh, didn't work out well. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, uh, keep an eye out for that uh, at a distance. Uh, um, And yeah, so yeah. And um, on Twitter, you find me at ace underscore arcist. All right. And uh, pacing Joska on Twitter, J O U S K A. Um, and I think you cut out that's ace. Uh, is it ace archist or ace underscore archist dot substack? Oh, I know. Oh, oh, sub. So no, sorry. Substack is ace dot substack dot com. Okay. Uh, Twitter is ace underscore archist. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Okay. Well, uh, pacing Jessica, J O S K A. And, uh, that's all I've got. Um, as I, as I live in a hovel and do bar prep and, uh, try to not, go insane (laughs) thank you all so much for listening peace bye guys thank you for listening to another episode of the end times continue for links and other information come see us at tetc.show